At this point in the book of Hebrews, the writer comes to this chapter 11 and has been talking about how great Jesus is and how there's nothing to go back to in the old religion of Judaism, that he is the evolution of that. There is no, there's no two separate religions. This is one constant flow. He starts off that chapter 11, which was weeks ago that we were there, with the definition of faith, knowing that that definition of faith is difficult to understand, begins to give us example after example of what it means and what it looks like. I need that, personally. At the end of chapter 11, in the beginning of chapter 12, he's going to say, likewise. So, The whole point of chapter 11 is to let everybody know that's walking with Jesus, all of our heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, all these great men and women of God, that story doesn't stop with them, it continues with you, is the idea. These stories are not meant to say, oh, wow, yeah, I wish I could be more like that, I wish I could do that. No, he's saying, no, you are the next Abraham, you are the next Joseph. It's a different thing he's going to do with you, but you're the next person that can walk by faith and let God do these things in your life if you're willing. So there's your one-minute soundbite. If you tune out from here on out, you got the lesson, okay? So we pick up our story in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was called by God in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9, to go to a new place. I want you to leave your everything you know, because I've got a special thing I want to do with you because of your faith in me, because you trust me, God says, because I've never seen anything like this before. I've got to, I can work with this faith because you're going to let me do stuff with your life. You're going to start a, a whole new people group, and I'm going to start with you, and I want you to first start with this. I want you to leave it, cut off everything you know, and move to this place I want you to move to. It's a land I'm going to give you. It's a territory that's going to be yours. And he does. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 9 of Genesis, this is the story. Now the Lord had said to Abram, different name, same person, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I think about... Um, marriages and weddings that take place, you know. Um, My daughter and your son are going to be moving to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, away from both of our watchful, perfect, you know, we can help, but they're going to be gone. It's kind of what's happening. They're going to do their own life. They're going to follow their their God, and they're going to have their own walk with Jesus. I think about every single time I counsel a young uh, promised couple, you know, engaged couple, They have no idea what the other person is going to be like in five years. They don't. 
They don't know what they're going to be like in 10, 15, 20. Every single person, think of yourself. Well, you don't need to know my age, but I think back 20 years ago, I'm not even the same person. I have the same God, I have the same relationship with Jesus, but I'm completely different. Same with Jenny, my wife. That's faith. When you get married, you're going to do everything you can when you're engaged and when you're looking to find the perfect compatible person, the one who's going to be just like you, is going to think like you, is going to feel like you, or just, <laughs> believe me, you don't want that. You want a balance. And you're going to have a balance whether you like it or not. But no matter how well you vet or look into that person you're going to marry, they're going to be different five years from then. They're going to grow. They're going to change. They're going to mature. They're going to have experiences. They're going to learn from those experiences. They're going to be completely different. It's by faith you get married. It's by faith. You trust that God is the one that brought them to you. You trust that God is the one who has their heart, that whatever God is doing in their heart, I have the same God doing something in my heart, and us together, we together, are going to make this beautiful one walk with Jesus together. You see, that's faith. Abram was his name. Sarah, or Sarai, was her name. Got together, and here they go on this adventure. Follow me, honey. We're going to move to a new land. I'm going to take you, and you're the only thing I can take with me, or supposed to. In verse 2 of that same section, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'm, I'm bringing you that place to be a blessing. That's important. Abraham's going to be blessed. Abraham's going to um, have the benefit of the relationship with God like he should, like we all have. But make no mistake, Abraham, you're there to be a blessing, as we all are. My faith in Jesus Christ will be a blessing to those around me. My walk with Christ, my steadfastness in Jesus will be a blessing to those around me. It just is. My family, my friends, my co-workers, if you have any, your walk is going to be a blessing. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Lot's not supposed to go with him. But Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Lot, what are you doing? Lot's probably going, where are you going, Abraham? Abraham's probably always been the guy that has probably done well in business, you know? And Lot's kind of been there for all those blessings that happened to Abram. He's like, where are you going, you know? Wherever you go, I'll go. I want to stay there. You've got that Midas touch, Abram. So he took Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and, the, and they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. Now, those are employees, and it's different. <laughs> that corporation's moving headquarters, and we want you to come with us. And so they would go with them. Usually, it's a bond slave sort of situation. We'll work for you, provided you provide us with room, board, and take care of us. We'll work hard, and that's the situation. So all these people that he's acquired, he goes with. That's a big group, by the way. So they departed for the land of Canaan. So when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites uh, 
were then in the land. So they still occupied the land. This is before Israel is given the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. Not to you. Abram's whole walk of faith, his whole life, he's going to live in a tent in the Canaanite land. It's never his. It never becomes Abramites, you know. He just dwells there as a a Bedouin, someone who moves through the land. But eventually, his descendants. What Abraham does is not for himself. It's for his descendants. His faith, his trust in God, his willingness to abandon all with a reckless abandonment and completely go for it and follow God without any idea of where he's going or what's going to happen, his descendants get the blessing of that. And he moved from there to the, mount, to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. So he goes. Abraham by faith. In our section back in Hebrews, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise. His entire life was by faith. It never realized itself. He died in that faith, hoping and trusting in the promise of God that this land that he walked around in for his entire life was going to be given to his descendants, but never actually realizing it. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose building and maker is God. It's heaven, Jerusalem in heaven. He knew that whatever happened, his walk with God now was going to produce a true homeland, a homeland in heaven. It was worth it to him. It was enough for him to know that my walk and my faith with God is going to produce at the end of my life forever with God, regardless of what I see here. Why would the writer of Hebrews want to make that a point to these people? Folks, you're being persecuted. It's getting harder. You're getting pressure to come back to Judaism. He never said it was going to be realized here. He said, you're walking with me now for the eternity you're going to have with me. That's why we're doing what we're doing. There's nothing to go back to, first of all, but even if you did, it wouldn't produce any fruit for you. You're still going to be lost then. You, you lose what Christ has given you by going back to that old way, which is not a way anymore. It served its purpose, Judaism. Not anymore. We've moved on from that. But make no mistake about it, Hebrew believer, Jewish believer, what you're doing is right. I mean, that's the second guessing, right, that's going on. I thought my life would be different. I thought uh, life would be easier. I thought this is getting harder. I just want to go back to synagogue. I just want to go back to selling bread like I always used to. I'm tired of people looking at me funny. I'm tired of the persecution I'm getting from my family. I'm tired of the constant, I'm never included in the things I used to be included in. Does anybody experience that once you've come to Christ with your family? It happens. And he's saying, no, don't, don't. That, Abraham, you're hero in the faith. The one that they talk about in that synagogue that you want to go back to, the hero of their faith, the one that we always hope to aspire to, did what you're doing. You're doing it. I think it's important for us to know. Abraham's life 
when documented in Scripture in one, two, three, three verses here, doesn't mention so many things, does it? If you've read Genesis and you know his story of faith, I mean, the very next section after this, uh, Genesis chapter uh, 12 is chapter 13, when the famine hits. We're not talking about that. We don't talk about what happens in the famine. In Hebrews 11, we talk about Abraham's faith. When God documents Abraham's faith, he completely ignores the fact that he told everybody that that was his sister, not his wife, put her in the harem, got lots of money for it. I mean, so many things went wrong. Doesn't talk about Hagar and the illegitimate child they had together that was supposed to fulfill in the flesh the promises of God. Doesn't even talk about that other wife and all that other thing. It completely... What's documented is what Abraham did by faith. What's not documented is whatever he did in the flesh. We have the benefit of reading Abraham's whole story. We have it all. It's been published. My life has not been published. Thank goodness. (laughs) But what people have experienced in my life, some people came into my life and experienced me in the flesh, and that's it. Some people came into my life and experienced me in the spirit, and that's it. Very few people in my life have ever experienced the totality, (laughs) the whole walk so far. I say that for your sake, as you feel discouraged some days. I'm not walking in flesh. I'm walking in the flesh. I'm not walking in the spirit. Oh, God, I don't know if I can even go on. I don't know what it is that may go through your mind, but please know our heroes of the faith All that's documented about them after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after the cross, is what they did for God by faith. That's all that will be documented about you. Please know that. Sarai, Sarah, verse 11. By faith, Sarah, that's Abraham's wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him, God, faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, speaking of Abraham, (laughs) were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Does anybody know that story of of Sarah getting word from God that she's going to have a baby? That's not how I read it. And if you don't know the story, let me read it to you. And I want to be careful about this because we just talked about on Sunday not being a talebearer and talking about other people's sin because love covers a multitude of sin, which is what we're actually seeing right here. Sarah doesn't do well. Abraham doesn't do well. Love covers a multitude of sin. And all that's talked about is these beautiful successes and wins, right? Well, I think it's fair then for us to know and to read these stories. I feel comfortable like I'm not breaking any laws of God by reading these stories of how the actual thing went down. Because how it went down in our lives and under our experience is a lot different than how God sees it. I think that's important for us to all know tonight. I don't think I did very well at that moment of faith with God. But God says, no, you did great. It happened, didn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, I really wanted to be the star of the show, and I was kind of a dope about the whole thing. Yeah, that's all right. We're not going to write that part down. In Genesis 18, a few chapters later, 
Abraham's already been told that he's going to have a baby. And he thought, oh my goodness, this is great. You know, a guy my age, that's impossible. I mean, these guys are 100 years old at the time they get the promise. And it is impossible. He was as good as dead. <laughs> it ain't happening. I'm trying to put too fine a point on it here. And she was past menopause. She was done. No children. It's just not happening. They were childless up to that point. Later on, they come back, and they're traveling through, and they say, it's God and a couple angels. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he, Abraham, said, here in the tent. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son, confirming the promise that they had earlier. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. So she's eavesdropping on this conversation. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Yeah, right, she says. That's, that's how it went down. How it's documented is Sarah had this beautiful faith in God to trust for this child. And she's giggling behind there saying, I don't think so. That can't happen. I think we expect a lot of ourselves sometimes. More. See, I, I want to I look like verses 11 and 12 when I do it. But that's not what it looked like when it happened. How it got documented is 11 and 12. How God saw it. It takes more faith. It takes faith on top of faith. Faith that I, I did eventually do what God called me to do. And God says, no, as far as I'm concerned, that was obedience. Because you did it. In fact, he tells a parable of a story like that. Jesus does. A man had two sons and says, I want you to go do this. And the first son said, I'm not going to go do that. And he says, fine. So he goes to the second son. The second son says, yeah, I'll go do it. The first son changes his mind and says, I better go do what dad says and does it. The second son says, I'm not going to go. I know I told him I'd go, but I'm not going to do it. Which one was faithful? The first son who was a bonehead to begin with was an obedient kid at the end. That's us. That's everybody in this chapter. Be encouraged. Your story is being written in a whole different way. I think we're going to be surprised when we read it, when we get it to heaven. You know, That seemed like such a failure. I don't remember that part, God says. It says in verse 13 of that Genesis passage, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? So he heard it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. So now she's lying to God, who heard her say it. It's just getting worse for her. And God said, no, but you did laugh. And there's an exclamation point. Now, I've got to figure out how he said that. It's one of two ways. He either looked at her and said, Sarah, you did laugh. Doesn't fit the story, though, for me. I, I never laughed. You did laugh. I think God knows. I think God knows how he's going to write it in chapter 11. 
I think he knows exactly what he's going to do. I think he knew exactly that she was going to laugh and that this is going to go down and I'm going to have, uh, you know. And he knew all of that. None of this surprised him. The laugh, the lie, none of this. He knew all of that was going to take place and yet still says, I'm going to still use Sarah and Abraham because it's impossible for them, but it's possible for me. And when it happens, they're both going to laugh. And by the way, they named their child Isaac, which means, say it, laughter. Because they're both, and, and I don't know that God doesn't like those kind of surprises too in our lives. Our expression. I always feel bad, don't you? It's like, I know I trust God, but boy, when it actually happened, I was still kind of surprised that he did it. And you feel bad because you're like, I, if I wish I had enough faith to say, of course that was going to happen. I knew it the whole time. But you don't, you know? You're like, can you believe this? And you're trying to tell the story. And other people are like, well, of course, God can do all things through God who strengthens, Christ who strengthens. Okay, well, I was surprised. I'm glad you knew, but I was shocked. I think God likes that shock. I think he loves it. Well, I know he does. He writes it down that way. Ah, Sarah, that great woman of faith, believed me that I was going to give her a son. What a gracious, beautiful, loving father that is to write something like that about that situation. You know, What's he going to write about you and me? Verse 13. These, all the people I've mentioned so far, the writer says, all died in faith. And he says that because everybody reading this is wondering if it's going to happen while they're alive. And he says, no, every one of these heroes of the faith we've already talked about, none of them received, I mean Isaac, they got Isaac, of course, but didn't get the land, didn't get the promises, didn't get many of the things they thought they were supposed to have. None of, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Anybody that says, this isn't my home and that I'm a stranger on this earth, knows that there's a better place and they're planning to go there. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. At any time, he could have said, I'm going back. You know, any one of these people could have said, I'm going back to that place that God first started. Don't do that. He's saying that because many of the people reading this are thinking about going back. But none of the people that you look up to, Hebrew, ever went back. All the heroes moved forward with God. They didn't go back. It was tough. It was hard. It seemed like they didn't have faith. It seemed like they didn't walk perfectly or as well as they should have, but they never went backwards. They always moved forwards. So he's encouraging them, keep going forward. I know it's hard. I know you're being persecuted. I know it isn't maybe what you thought or had expectations, but do what your heroes have done. Be the next chapter in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, be the next chapter in your life. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. It's the only way I can please God is to believe him at his word and to walk and live my life without any knowing how it's going to work out, but only that he said it was going to be what he said it was going to be. That's faith. It's the evidence of things hoped for. It's that definition we read. 
at the beginning, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen when I do these things, when I walk with the Lord. In my life, um, I mean, manifestation is probably the wrong word to use nowadays. We're literally sitting in. We're sitting in. We're experiencing right now a decision that was made 20 plus years ago. We're sitting in it. It's the fulfillment. When Jenny and I came down here, we had no idea. No idea. We left everything we knew. I quit my job. Walked by faith. Somebody gave us a house. We ended up here after doing two Bibles. The whole series of things. And I'd love to tell you all the nights and days that didn't look like this. You know? When nobody shows up at a Bible study that you're prepared for. And back then, hours and hours of prep with notes and notes. And you sit there and, oh, nobody came. Time to go home. You know. And here we are. It's amazing to me. That promise, that word of God that we received from the Lord to come and do whatever he had for us, just reckless abandonment and completely walking by faith, and I have no idea how it's going to turn out or whether it'll work out, only that God said to go, we went. And God does that with every one of our lives. Tonight I was singing along with my son, my song blending with his voice, a believer in Jesus now. What? It's just unbelievable. And all of you have those experiences. I'm, not, I'm, I'm only saying it because I can only speak for myself. But all of you have those moments. All of you have those. And that's all, that's all the writer's trying to invoke in us, in all of us tonight. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. Think on those things. Think about where you are and where you were. Think about what's happened up till now. And, and don't talk about the times you walked about in the flesh. Look at the things you did by faith and how you ended up where you are spiritually with the people you have in your life and the experiences you've had and the things you know, that God has done. Don't go back. Move forward. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. So the promise that God gave Abraham was going to come through Isaac and his children. Now, I want you to take your son Isaac and kill him. Now, we always wonder, I wonder what he was thinking was going to happen. And, and some people don't know this passage, so you're going to learn something tonight if you don't know this. We don't have to guess at what Abraham was thinking on the hill. Some people say he was probably like, I'm really going to do it. You know, better stop me. Better. That's not how it was. He was fully committed, expected his son to die, was going to walk away, and expected a resurrection. Because God's word says so right here. This is the explanation of Genesis 22. Here's what he says. In Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in the figurative sense. In other words, I was dead in my body. Sarah was dead in her body. There was no way, but here came Isaac. That was a resurrection of the dead for life. If I kill Isaac... I'm going to kill Isaac. I have no doubt that God's going to raise him from the dead and continue the promises because God's promises are more sure than my dead son. That's, 
Now that's a time he really, really did well. I mean, he really did well. And everybody loves that story, and everybody loves how it turned out. And he's reminding the readers here and us tonight, our obedience to God's word in our lives, what he tells us to do, is from faith, not from knowing how he's going to perform it, not knowing how it's going to work out, not knowing whether it's going to work out. I want you to kill your son Isaac. He doesn't tell them, and then I'm going to raise him up, and everything's going to be okay, but I just want to see you go through the motions. He says, I want you to believe my promise, and then I want you to do something which actually seemingly, according to this world, would kill that promise. He says, I'm, no doubt you can do your promise. No matter what I do, you're going to fulfill your promise, Abraham said. That's faith. I don't know that any of us would have that faith right now. I, I don't know. Maybe you do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Tonight is a moment for all of us to grow a little bit in our faith tonight. That's why we're reading this. We're not going to have the same faith tomorrow as we did when we came in this building tonight. It's going to be greater. So what does that mean for you tomorrow? It means God may ask you to do something that doesn't seem like it makes sense. It doesn't seem like it's a part of the plan or part of your plan or an expectation that you had. He's going to ask you to do something, not kill your son. He's going to ask you to do something that is contrary to everything that makes sense to you. Everything that was part of the plan, everything that you thought was going to take place. And you have a decision to make. Do I believe God's promise I believe him at his word. Do I trust my walk with him? Or am I going to retreat and go back from it? In Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19, it's the whole story. I figured we're here. Let's read it. We always talk about Genesis 22, Psalm 22, Luke 22, all being connected. Let's at least read the story so we know it all. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. It's a test. And said to him, Abraham, he says, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, by the way, Ishmael is born at the time. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, where Mount Moriah is, which is Golgotha, which is Mount Calvary. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. He knew what he was going to do, but there was going to be a resurrection. So we're both coming back. We're just going to go... I'm going to go kill him really quick, and then we'll be back with a resurrected son. I'll, I'll see you soon. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, the, on, on Isaac, his son. So the wood is placed upon the back of the son as they walk up Mount Calvary. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. So the instruments of wrath are in the father's hand. 
But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said to him, Here I am, son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So he's attached to the wood now. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, fully committed. But the angel of the Lord called to uh, him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I, or here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So there's the lamb attached to thorns on his head, caught by them as the lamb. Beautiful picture. Then Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Jesus was killed on the mountain called the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. End of the story. That's Genesis 22. All right. Verse 20, back in Hebrews. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. That's it. A little short one-liner for him. Isaac is the son, obviously, that we just read in Genesis 22. And he blessed Jacob, his other son, and Esau, concerning things to come. Now, they were twins. Isaac had uh, twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had caught Esau by the heel, trying to become the firstborn. You know, like babies know, but that's the story anyway. Trying to beat Esau out the womb first. Because his twins, there is still minutes apart, you know, kind of thing. And the twin will let you know that, (laughs) I guess, from what I've heard. They'll say, yeah, I was first, you know. I was the first one out. Well, Jacob wasn't. He was the second one out. But he blessed him. Now, that blessing happens in Genesis 27, a few chapters later. We'll only read a few verses. Verse 25, Isaac said, uh, Come near to me. I'm going to bless you so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, this food that Jacob had prepared. The whole story you'll have to read on your own. He brought him wine and drink. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him, saying. Now, here's the back story. I guess you have to know it. Esau is supposed to get the primary blessing. Because he's the firstborn. Jake and Esau's mom says, no, I want Jacob to get the blessing. So I'm going to make this meal that he asked Esau to make 
for you, Jacob, and you sneak in there and put some wool on your neck because your brother's really hairy and you're super smooth-skinned, and he's going to know you're not Esau. But we're going to trick old blind Isaac so that he'll bless you instead by mistake. So he's done all this, and so he says, come near so I can bless you. So he's got this suspicion. I don't think this is really him because the voice doesn't match. I can't see it, so come near. So he puts his hand on him, he's kind of furry, and he smells like the outside. must be Esau. I must be crazy. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be a master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Thus we get our promise even today. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. It still holds true. Okay. Esau walks in. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob by deceit, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said, Father, let my father arise and eat the son's game, and your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? I already blessed you, Esau. He said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. There's a, there's a dash there. It's like a, and I'm not taking it back, Esau. It, I figured it out. That wasn't you. But whatever happened was supposed to happen is the idea. And although I was planning on blessing you, because naturally that's what you do, God had other plans, and so I blessed your brother by mistake. But it's not a mistake, is it? I'm not taking it back. So he trembled and said this. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, bless me also, my father. Now, more backstory. Esau had come in from hunting one day, and was starving to death. And Jacob was back at the tent making food. And he says, Jacob, give me some of your food. And he says, I'm not giving you any of the food unless you sell me your birthright. He says, take it. What do I care about my birthright? So Esau didn't really get gypped. It just came to pass like he was promised or like he said he was going to do. So just so you know, it wasn't all Jake. It truly was what Esau had done. Is he not rightly named Jacob, which means deceiver? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing, and has said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Don't you have something for me, Dad? And Isaac answered and said to him, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do for you now, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Bless me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass uh, when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. And that does all come to pass. That happens. Trick. How does, was that a horrible family event or what? Horrible. 
Who'd want to have Thanksgiving or Christmas after that? Oh, Jake's coming with the wives. Great. Haven't seen him in a couple decades. How does the Bible document it? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. That's all God saw. It happened just like I wanted. I wanted Jake to get the blessing, and Esau got the second blessing, and he's fine. He's doing great. What a mess, though. You got a messy situation in your life? You got a messy family? You got a blended family? You talk about blended families. The Bible's full of blended families and amazing works of God done through those blended families. Wonderful things have happened. God wants to do the same. He's not done writing his book. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, verse 21, blessed. We're not going through the whole book, by the way. We're going to be done here. You're like, I don't know how he's going to make it through. I've only studied through verse 22, so we're almost done. You're like, oh, thank goodness, I had to go to the bathroom. So, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, that story wasn't great either. I mean, it was okay, but Joseph didn't understand what was happening. Joseph brings his two sons, and I'm just going to summarize for you because I don't want to read the whole chapter to you. You can. It's Genesis 48, verses 8 through 22. I won't read them. But he brings his two sons to him, and Jacob says, I'm going to bless your two sons. I'm going to give you a double blessing. So normally a dad would bless each kid. But when Joseph came, because Joseph was super special, he says, now give me your two sons. And I'm going to bless you through them, both of them. So you get like a double blessing, you know, two for one here. And he actually says, I'm taking these kids from me. They're mine. They're like my, it's like 13 and 14. I've got 12 sons. This is number 13, number four. These are both mine. You're out, by the way, Joseph, (laughs) kind of. These are mine. You can have, he actually says this in that text. You can have all the rest after this, but I'm not, I'm not grandpa. I'm dad for these two, symbolically. And so he blesses them. But what he does is he brings them up like you're supposed to because the right hand goes on the older and the left hand goes on the younger. Now, you know, Joseph's heard the stories. Jacob was a part of that deception. He knows what's happening. And so as he brings up the two kids, and Joseph's really careful to put the young one over on the left hand of Jake, or, you know, here it is, right over here, Joseph, right over here. Joseph, dad, here you go. Here's the older. And Joseph goes like this. And blesses him. And <laughs> Joseph says, stop. Now, I, know I might get the names for this stuff. Joseph says, stop, Dad. No, you got the names. He grabs his dad's hands and tries to move. You know you don't do that when your dad's that age, by the way. Dad, you're doing it wrong. Let go of me. You know. So there he is doing this. He goes, no, Dad, you got the hands wrong. You're, I mean, you're old. You don't know what you're talking about. Crosses him over. He goes, no, what I've done, I've done. This is the way it's supposed to be. You know, another moment where God steps in and does a thing. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure. I'm sorry, by by Jacob. I'm sorry, we're in the Jacob part. Hold on. When he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. That's all God remembers about that whole thing. Not the funny conversation, not Joseph grabbing his dad's hands and trying to switch him. None of that. Oh, it's just great. Everybody got blessed the way I wanted. You know, it worked out just like I wanted it to. I don't know that we can mess up God's plans. It's going to happen. I just want to look as faithful as possible as I'm walking with the Lord. I want to listen to him, and I'm not going to hear him every time, but I'm going to do my best, you know. And some days I'm going to be in the flesh, and some days I'm going to be in the spirit. But overall, when the thing is all written down, 
and all the things of the, of the faith part of my life were written down, there was a lot, you know. Finally, verse 22, and this is where we close tonight. My faith, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Okay, if you don't know the story, Jacob and the whole family were in a famine. They didn't know what to do. Um, I go back further, don't I? Uh, Joseph was the favorite child before the famine. Got a coat of many colors. All of his brothers hated him for it. You know, you creep. And so he would kind of be their supervisor. And so dad would say, go find out what those boys are doing. He went out to find out. Hey, dad told me to, to find out what you're doing. And they threw him in a pit. We're getting rid of this kid. I'm tired of him. You know, I'm tired of my younger brother always telling me what to do. Tired of his two dreams. Stupid dreams. We're going to bow down to him. I don't think so. Threw him in a pit. Sold him to a caravan. Caravan takes him to Egypt. Sends him off as a slave. They get some money for it. They tear up his coat. Put some lamb's blood on it. Take it back to dad. And say, Jacob, I don't know what happened. We found his, found, dad found his coat. You know, I don't know what, what happened. Dad, my son's dead. So Joseph. Joseph's in Egypt right now, okay? He rises to number two. That's, a lot happens, but he rises to number two in Egypt. Pharaoh Joseph. Joseph is now bald as a billiard ball or as a cue ball, you know. He's shaved because all the Egyptians. Doesn't look anything like a Hebrew anymore. Bald, wearing the white garb and everything, you know, some kind of toga or something like that. And there they are. I don't know what they were. And there he is. So, the famine comes and through a series of events, the whole family ends up coming down. They realize, oh, it's Joseph. He's our long-lost brother, and he was really sent there by God to save us all, and it all worked out great, and he forgives us, and we love him. And they live there. Somewhere along the line, though, they stay, and they never leave Egypt. Okay, So after 400 years of it changing from, wow, this is great, to I'm tired of building pyramids, you know, we think. I don't know, but they built a lot of things out of mud and straw, and they became slaves. They began to cry out for a deliverer. Joseph, before he dies, before this slavery thing hits, says, I know that one day God's going to lead us out of here, and I know I'm going to die before that happens, but don't leave my bones here. Take me with you when you leave Egypt, is the point. Okay. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Take me to the land of promise when we get there. Take me there with you. That's where we close for tonight. That story's in Genesis 50 if you want to read it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. These are our heroes. These are the stories we teach in Sunday school. These are the people that we admire, want to be like. Um, idolize and, and learn a lot about you. Um, idolize this is the wrong word to use, God, but <laughs> we look up to them as we see you manifest uh, your, your beautiful works in their lives because they follow you and trust in you. God, we hear what you're saying tonight, that you want to do the same thing with us. May not be as extreme, may not be as gigantic as these stories end up being, but we want to have our own story, our own walk of faith with you, we want to hear your word and do what you told us to do by faith, to go where you told us to go by faith and trust the outcome to you, knowing that we've placed ourselves in your hands our entire lives. We place our marriages in your hands tonight. We place our jobs in your hands tonight, our employment. 
We place our finances in your hands tonight. We place everything we have in your hands tonight, God, by faith. Now help us to hear your still small voice. Help us to read your word and to understand what your plans are for us and help us to do those plans. We don't have to hear all the steps. We just need to know the next one and help us to walk by faith like these men and women did. We want to be in this chapter. We want to be those people. We want to live that kind of life. So I pray that you help us to do that tonight and tomorrow when it comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.